Think of your most impactful leader you've had over your entire life. Is it the way they made you feel? Is it something that they said? What is it that made them so great? My name's Spencer Holt and welcome to Small Things Make a Big Difference, where together we are exploring how to become better leaders. I've been a banker, I've done oil and gas, I've opened up restaurants, I currently work at AstraZeneca, where I get to lead the commercial learning organization. I'm passionate about leadership, I've got four amazing children, the best wife in the world, and I'm still trying to figure out how to become a better leader. So join us, invite a friend, and let's explore together the small things that will make a big difference not only in your life, but as a leader in the lives of the people that you interact with. A few weeks ago, my son, Ty, had started playing basketball. And you can imagine, as a freshman in high school, so grade nine, you're a little bit nervous about fitting in and you know where's your skill level at and how do I compare? The other day, Ty came home and I was on a call and he could not wait to talk to me. And so finally I had to push pause from my meeting. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'll be right back. And Ty's like, dad, I just needed to tell you something. I was like, what? He goes, the coach took me and one other kid aside. And he said, look, you guys are grade nine. You're young. He goes, and you've got a lot of talent. I want you guys to keep working at this. I want your foot speed to increase, but you guys are going to be amazing. And Ty was like, Dad, did you hear it? That was the coach that said that to me. He is so cool. I am, and now I've told my son this hundreds of times, but it meant so much that the coach would pull him aside and talk to him about how good he is today and more importantly, how good he can, how good he can be in the future. He has, that coach has a follower. Today, we're going to explore the principle of what creates followership and how do we as people capture hearts and minds of the people that we interact with and not just by telling them what to do, but because they want to do it. You are going to love this episode as we listen and learn from my good friend, Dean McAllister. This week on Small Things Make a Big Difference, I'm so excited. Dean McAllister, who is not only president of North America for STEM, he's an author of a book called Lessons from a Life in Motion that we're going to talk about, but he's also a great friend. He's been a mentor. Uh, and, and in this episode, I'm so excited to have all of us, each of us learn some of the, the unique things that Dean does that will help each of us kind of, I think, be more intentional leadership. Dean McAllister, welcome, my friend. Thank you, Spence. And it's great to be here with you. And I've enjoyed the podcast that I've gotten to listen to on Small Things Matter and seeing how you have quite an impressive lineup of guests. I'm proud to be added to that list. Dean, give us a little bit of insight. Like, who you are today, and maybe some milestones that maybe that you think have defined the type of leader that you are and why you do the things you do. Absolutely. Well, I had a lifetime 
in this industry before I got to this role that you mentioned around my job as president for North America of STEM Healthcare. But I did spend almost 30 years at AstraZeneca. It's the only working employment I had post-college and went from basically 22 to 50 in the organization and was able to advance through 16 commercial jobs and many moves and a lot of great people to get to work with and to work for. And looking back is when you see that the most clearly. You don't see it while you're in it. But the last going on five years for me has really kind of opened up the curtain to be able to look back and in arrears to see why that was important, what the intersections were along the way, not just in jobs and job titles, but with people and with situations and business challenges. All those things caused me then to want to write the book along with my co-author, Jen Wegerson. I knew I needed a way to be able to memorialize those things and what I had learned on change and followership and reinvention and how to view failure and a whole myriad of other topics. All those things were little packets of information that were in my mind and my memory. But I knew unless I put some time into them and brought those stories to life, they would ultimately begin to fade away. And that was a big lesson to me out of all those was to be able to press pause and memorialize that in some way. And for me, it was through podcasts and making those podcasts into a book. So cool. I, it, it, the concept around like what you've described for me, it comes up like the ability to make sense of the world and your point, like let's peel the curtains back, let's pause. And you actually bring up a point. Let me give a good shout out to Jen Wegerson, who's your co-author, but also um, does a podcast where you are, you know, often on that talking about it. It's called Your Storia. Um, and so feel free to check that out. They're great lessons. And so it, it feels like, Dean, that these intersections and some of these moments you've now put into a book, um, which is called Lessons from a Life in Motion. Tell us a little bit more about this book. If I were to pick it up and read it, what am I going to find and, and why should I do that? Well, you'll find some very practical chapters on issues that we all deal with. And maybe you don't think about them as dealing with them or it's just an experience that as I mentioned in arrears, you understand better. But the first chapter as an example is the lifeline chapter. And I realize that's part of the title of the book, but I learned this technique in an MIT leadership class that AstraZeneca sent me to where you plot out over the course of your working life, the ups and downs, the big things that happen to you, the small things, and what age you were, what was going on around that, and you plot it on a graph and then go in and put some level of detail about where those things happened on the ups and downs. And that particular chapter chronicles a lot of that over the course of those years. And even some things that predate the AstraZeneca years of big life events. And it really helps you to kind of step back and start to see the peaks and valleys of your life and what was going on then and to try and make the story have a little bit more resonance and make a little bit more sense. Some of the other chapters that came out of necessity were the chapters on change. As an example, I wrote that chapter coming out of my time of exiting out of AstraZeneca, which was an early retirement, a very positive situation, but yet I found myself all of a sudden outside of what had become a big part of not just my job, but my identity with 
so many years working inside one company with so many people. And I had to use that time and the four months or so that I was actually retired from that first time with AstraZeneca until I went to work for STEM Healthcare to really say, what are some of the things that I really need to do and change? Like I realized I still needed to look for work. I was 50 years old. You know, I wasn't ready to technically retire. It was just a terminology to be able to exercise the benefits I had of coming out of AstraZeneca at that point in my life. I also had to look and say, I need to do some things to try and stay at least reasonably physically fit during that time and establish some good patterns. And then I need to challenge my mind. And during that period of time, I probably went through 25 or 30 audiobooks to be able to grow my mind. So that helped me see how to deal with change, not just in that moment, but have a rubric for it for future times in my life as well. And the other chapters were really just looking back as, as things would come to mind that we recorded as a podcast and then put into a book form on ideas like followership, not how to be a good follower, but if you're a leader, why would somebody follow you? And, you know, if you look around, do you have somebody behind you when you think you're charging up a hill or are you really just wrapped up in yourself and you really don't have anyone that would follow you? So all of these things were just points in time that as you look back, they're really stories. And, you know, every good story has a setup, conflict and resolution. And each one of the chapters kind of takes you through examples of that. You know, what was the background and the context behind it? Then what was that moment of conflict that caused that chapter content to come to life? And then how does it resolve? And the resolve isn't always perfect because we really don't solve problems. We manage dilemmas. And, and that's what complicated adult life in the working world is really about, is managing dilemmas. And sometimes that resolution just is, how do I make the best out of the situation? And each one of them takes you through that same type of idea across a whole range of topics. So I, I wanna, I'm gonna, I wanna jump into this, the change chapter for a second, because I, 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 you know, there are many people today that unfortunately due to the environment today, you might've been laid off um, or you are thinking about change. I, Dean, I, look, I mean, I think 50 is young, but some people are like, oh my gosh, at 50, you're looking for a new job. Like that psychologically, uh, that is, was it a blow? Like how did you, you gave some great tips on how you dealt with it, but was it just that easy? Or were there kind of like some moments of doubt where you really discovered at 50 a little bit more about yourself? Yes, there were intense moments of doubt and absolute trepidation. The morning I woke up after technically retiring, I was lost. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. You know, I'd been used to waking up and going to work wherever work was that day. And I didn't have anywhere to go. And I had kind of prepared for that. What I thought was emotional preparation, but no, I had to live it. And you kind of have to go through a grief cycle as you have those kind of changes. But the coming out of it though, as I went to work for STEM Healthcare and they asked me to help grow their business footprint in the US, I then went from managing 300 people to being an individual contributor and out in all the companies that I had heard about and had friends that had gone to work there. But now all of a sudden I was supposed to go there and try and get them to buy the service that we sell. And it was me. It wasn't three layers of people I was leading through anymore. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen because of me. And 
our name brand recognition outside the companies where we had worked historically, which was about 10 or 12 companies in the US biopharma space was almost zero. So I went into many hostile environments where I'm going like, don't you people understand how much I know and how much I have learned in 30 years? You know what, they didn't care. And that wasn't why I was there in the first place. I was there to help sell something else that would make a lot of very valuable principles come to life around benchmarking their organization. But I could no longer do it based on my own leadership credentials, what I knew, but I had to put it in the frame of something that was valuable to them. And I also had to go into their world. They didn't care that I had been in AstraZeneca all those years. These were people that worked in Lilly, in Pfizer, in Genentech, in Amgen, and many of them had had five or six employers during the time period that I had had one. So it was a huge period of growth that was spurred out of necessity. And you know, we either reinvent and change out of necessity or choice. And initially for me, it was reinvention out of necessity. But very quickly, I realized, wow, I have a chance here to tell a story and I want to do that in a way that will be lasting and to make an impact on what I do. Yes, that's my job. But I had a chance to make an impact in people in all those companies where before my impact was limited to one company. So it was a chance when Dean went to scale and did it in his 50s. It, you know, this is probably not the right analogy, but I'm kind of like thinking of like, you know, as the phoenix rises from the ashes, you know, you, you recreated your self and 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 to your point like where many people might have or like you embraced the moment and you decided that your agility and ability to learn like I love what you said like I 30 different podcasts or audiobooks like you've used learning as part of your formula to be able to change and and then it almost sounds too like you've ensured that you've put yourself in an environment that has allowed you to grow and continue to grow. So you feel like you're like, no, I'm, you're still living, you know, your purpose and your passions. Um, and it doesn't matter the age. No, it doesn't matter the age. And it really doesn't even matter within what organization you work. You're still trying to be a catalyst and you're trying to cause change. And if you think what a catalyst actually is, it's something that impacts uh, and causes a reaction to be different than it would have been if you weren't in that. And within it, you've got to trust. So I knew, I, yes, I was learning some new skills and new rules of the road, but I also had to trust that I could be comfortable starting sentences that I had absolutely no idea how I was going to finish and that the content would come through because of the skills and experience. And there weren't many things that I was going to see after all those years in AstraZeneca that I hadn't seen before. There aren't that many new business problems. You really run into it and go like, okay, I think I've seen that before. And I know what application around the service we provide could be of help and assistance. And I was having to do it in these 30 minute bites because usually for business development appointments within biopharma, you get about 30 minutes to turn somebody from who are you and what do you do to that's interesting. I wanna follow up with you in a couple of weeks. And you have to do all that within this very narrow arc. So it was a great way for me to use my maximizer strength from Strength Finder around, all right, this is what I got. I'm gonna make the most out of it. I'm not gonna try and boil the ocean to be 100% perfect. Uh, I'm gonna be about 80% perfect, but I'm gonna be about 
right on track with this is how this will help you. I'm my guess is, as you're listening to this, um, there are many people that are in the change that you've just described or are contemplating it. And you've given us some really great strategies, a to not be afraid of it, but potentially, you know, how to run into it and say, let's, let's get after this. Um, and, and I want to kind of switch gears because you introduced a concept in one of your chapters um, and you call it followership. And as you described it, I could literally picture somebody running up the hill thinking that they've got like a hundred people behind them turning around and no one was there. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I had a team behind me. Give me a define followership and in your career, whether you're leading teams or not, like because followership's not about a title, what's kind of been your formula to create it? Yes, well, you have to get people's hearts and minds, not just the hands and feet. A lot of times leaders are making hands and feet argument. It's just the mechanics of things, the facts, the math, uh, just absolutely logical persuasion to try and win you over in an argument that you'll follow after what we're trying to get you to do, or God forbid, doing it through intimidation. Those things are all very short cycle. They don't last. There's going to be plenty of ways to get content across. What I found as a leader is you have to bring people into a moment where you intersect between content and fun, because then you're helping them to remember how you made them feel. And then when they're out on the pointy end of the spear, maybe by themselves on a sales call, they're going to remember like, I know why I'm doing this. There's a purpose behind it. And there's some, some genuine interest in me in this organization expressed by my upline leader. And I'll go back to an example that you and I lived together. We were closing out a meeting when you worked on one of my teams and we needed to have more fun in the closing session than the leader getting up and just reciting back to everyone. Here's what we learned on Monday. Here's what we learned on Tuesday. Oh, it's Wednesday. Well, here's what we learned on Wednesday. Now everybody have a good trip home. No, that's not what they needed. They needed an injection of fun. You know, some people look like they had had a rough week. So I remember going up to you saying, Spencer, I know you see the value of fun at work. I want to create a lasting experience for those people when they leave. And you remember how we ended that and what song we ended that with, with 500 people singing along? Oh my gosh, this is memory lane. So uh, let, me, let me paint the picture here, people. Dean did exactly what he said. And then he's like, okay, we're now going to have Spencer Holt come and lead us in a karaoke of Sweet Caroline. And I like, look, I'm pretty brave and I don't get embarrassed often, but there was a moment where I started to sweat and I was like, you didn't tell me I was going to do that. And, but boy, was it fun. And, um, and every, you know, everyone stood up and, you know, if you know the song, Sweet Carol, I mean, no one does it better than Neil Diamond, but I think it was a close second, maybe, you know, maybe third. Um, funny side note, when I told my wife that, she was like, are you going to get fired? Like, does that really happen? But Dean, you, 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 you talk about like followership and that ability to create fun and tying it into purpose is so important. And people remembered that. And we gave away little keychains. I remember that mentioned about our business unit. And that was part of that same meeting. I had one person that from these $2 keychains sent me an email about six weeks later. It said, Hey, I've lost my keychain. Can you send me another one? And I remember going to my chief of staff going like, do we even have any more of those? 
Uh, and, and why would somebody want another one? But that's what I mean by people remember how you make them feel. And that's what's missing is the ability to inspire as a leader. And you have to get more than hands and feet. You have to get to the hearts and minds. And that's what I mean by creating followership as a leader. I love this whole topic. And, and I would, and I, I would probably argue today it's even more important. I think it's a human nature that we want to feel like we belong, but where we have been in many countries around the world have had different levels of lockdown and isolation more than ever now, this ability to help people feel like they belong, that they have fun and, but you can help them feel great is probably more important today. And do you have any tips, Dean, on, like, how do we do that virtually? So if I'm, you know, if I'm a leader of a team, I'm like, I get the concept, but how do I do that now in a virtual world when I can't get 500 people to sing Sweet Caroline um, on a karaoke machine? How do, how do we do that today? Yeah, I think you have to realize a couple of key things. One of them is that screen to screen is the new face to face, at least for this point in time. And I realize in many events that I'm on where our work has gone to almost all virtual environment, that when you're in the format we are today, where I'm looking at you through Zoom, I have to be even more animated than I was in person because you know people can very easily get lost in the boxes on a Zoom call. So you really have to make it come to life about whether you're trying to relate a concept, you're trying to build relationship equity to someone in this format. And then the other thing is you have to take advantage of uh, synthetic proximity, I would call it, where you know, you've know you got a way to keep up with people in a lot of different modalities. There's this one today in a screen to screen. Of course, we all have email that's not the format I would prefer, but even just coming from a leader, particularly out to their team, text messages. I, I made a, a opportunity out of a lot of flights that I was on. You can get in-flight Wi-Fi now. And when I led 300 people in my last team, almost all of them, I could reach via text during those long flights. And I would just say like, okay, I'm going to take this section of the country and I'm going to send a little short note to people um, and, and about what I remember about them. Maybe they have a son that's in the military. Maybe they have a daughter at college, a kid who just went to preschool, whatever it may be. And whatever the moment in time may be that's relative, like here it would be what's related to how COVID might have changed things, how they did something unique, how they are reinventing the job virtually now in the marketplace, something that's a little snippet where they'll go, you know what, my leader pays attention. And all you have to have is a contact point. It doesn't even matter the quality of it. It's just that you have it. So you have to remember to take advantage of every modality to be able to do that, especially in an environment like we have today. I'm, I'm going to issue a challenge. If you're listening today, regardless of your title, each of us are leaders that are listening. There will be somebody that might come to your mind. That actually, it will come to your mind that could use what you've just described, a text message that helps them feel important. And, and I'll, I'll so please do that. Um, send it out today. And, I, you know, what a, what a great ripple effect we could cause here. And, and in fact, Dean, I, what's so funny is I can remember people um, come and meet, they'd be like, how does Dean text people so much? Like, I'm a, I'm a little rep in, you know, like Arkansas, like these remote places, but yet my most senior leader took time to send me a note and I would hear about it. Um, and, and that's the power of, I think what I love about this is followership. And, 
and each of us can do it, but it takes a level of commitment. Like you've decided that that's part of the legacy and your formula to really impact people, which I think has been so brilliant. But I just think, I think today we need more of it. Absolutely, we do, because people will only remember how you made them feel. And don't ever miss the chance as the leader to give them a reason to remember that. No, oh, it's so true. Dean, I've got, I, there's like a thousand more questions I could ask you, but um, I'm only going to ask you two. And over, you know, yeah, you know, I like music. And so if you were exercising today, now I know when you exercise, you like to um, mostly listen to audiobooks. but if you had a tune that you were jamming out to today, what song would you listen to? Well, it would be Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone, uh, because I think it describes, you know, the trepidation that you have as a leader that you're, you're going into the world of the unknown, because if you're going to lead, you don't necessarily look around and, and you know, put out a, a poll to go, uh, what does everybody think? You know, I'm not going to lead that way. I'm going to lead by taking action and have a bias for action. And with that, I may be out ahead of people a little more than what they might want at the time. But Kenny Loggins encouraged us to fly right into that danger zone. And you know what the song doesn't necessarily say is he also flew out of the danger zone on the other side of it. And I picture Tom Cruise doing all this, you know, in the, the movie where he was, uh, what was his name? Muscat, uh, Tomcat, Mustang. I can't remember what it was. It's, um, but it was a, they're making a, a reprise of that show. But it is, is important that as the leader, you realize you do have to fly into the danger zone. And to me, that's a motivational point because you're also going to run into a whole lot of people that are in their own danger zone. And maybe you're going to give them the insight or inspire them to have the insight on how to fly right through that danger zone to the other side. Literally, I'm going to be thinking about this the rest of the day, like, highway, the danger zone. Okay. Last question, Dean. The name of the podcast, podcast is Small Things Make a Big Difference. And so I'd love to hear from you in your vast experience and where you're at today. What is one small leadership habit that you do that makes a big difference for yourself, but the people that you interact with? Yes, I go to a principle of um, causing intersections. And we're often at points in time where we know two different people independently that, that might not ever cross with each other, but yet... I know this person has this strength, this person has this strength. Think about, I can cause an intersection with those people. And that's the small thing that matters. Maybe it's only an introduction. That may be all that's required is just a simple email that says, you two are brothers from another mother. You should meet. And just encouraging that and realizing that I've got the life experiences now. And thankfully at this point in my life, I've got at least a decent what we would have called a Rolodex file, your contact file from your iPhone, maybe is a better example of people that now I go like, you know what, that person ought to know that person. And I'm going to use my equity with both of them to say, why don't y'all talk? And causing intersections is to me the small thing that can matter a lot. I love it. What a powerful example of to your point, the power of intersections. And it, it, it speaks to who you are, right? It's, your small thing is helping connect other people um, so that they might be better. And it, it matches, you know, I think what you talk a lot about is the, the power of legacy and, and how you can stay true to that. And so with that, my friend, Dean McAllister, you've been amazing. 
thank you for joining us. And we look forward to more lessons from the book and potentially, if you will, we'd love to have you come back at another time. I'd love to, and thank you for the opportunity today. I hope you've enjoyed this week's session of Small Things Make a Book Difference, where Dean McAllister talks a lot and gives us some great insight around followership. And, and it reminded me of a quote by Maya Angelou. It says, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. One more time, the challenge today as you listen to this, think about somebody who needs to feel that they matter today. Send them a message. And may we all, as we think about our own leadership impact and the ripple effect that we can have, be intentional about the small things that can make a very big difference. If you're inspired today, please share this episode or other episodes with those that have not listened and have them subscribe and be part of a community that really cares about being intentional about the leader that we can become and the impact that we can make in the world. Thank you.